0: And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Disney won't stop! Hope Mullinax and Chris Honeywell have finished Clone Wars twice and Rebels once. Now they move on to Resistance and beyond. I'm Gene Gene, the MC Machine, and this is J-Guys and Jedi.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast covering every episode of Star Wars Resistance. In this episode, with sonara Son in place, pirate leader Craig Gore seizes an opportunity to strike at the Colossus. There will be girlfriend meet cute everybody all the girlfriends are cute and we love them pirate attacks and plot cannons but this is an audio medium so you can't see how funny that joke is <laughs> we're talking Sonara score this week i'm your host hope monax as always i'm joined by my lovely co- uh, co-host chris honeywell how are you doing chris
2: hello doing lovely
1: no one cares. So this week, I'm so <laughs> excited that we are joined by our first guest of our resistance coverage. He is the host for the Middle Geeks podcast, Into the Spidercast, and writes for But Why Though Network. He is also a fellow lover of the Cats movie with me because it's amazing. Welcome, Suara, Suara led to the show. How are you doing, Suara?
3: Hello, Hope. Thank you so much for welcoming me and having me on the show. Yes, I am a fellow lover of the utter disaster masterpiece that is Cats. I love how freaky it is and how much it freaks people out, but it's just, I, I love that. It's my sort of sense of humor. But I'm also happy to be here to discuss Resistance, the best Star Wars show ever. I don't care what anyone else says. See, Justice for Resistance.
4: The thing
1: for about Cats is, I do huh. I don't love it. I uniron, unironically, I actually love it because Cats was like one of my first exposures to live theater.
3: Right, and, same.
1: And it, yeah, and I was a theater major, and so like I actually truly love Cats. And See, uh, uh,
5: I don't believe in uh, an ironic loving. So if you love something, you love it. You know, if you're if you're ironically loving <laughs> it, I think that's just sort of armor, so nobody picks on you because you're afraid that they're gonna pick on you for being a cat lover, but.
3: so with with all due respect for your genuine cats love hope i respect it but i just it may i say my piece about the cats movie and why i love it absolutely okay so i just love in my opinion how much it messed up what was in the original musical with like the weird music they did the cgi fur the just like frankly the insanity that is the gats movie and i revel in it it is partially ironic a large part of it is ironic you know like i don't genuinely think it's a good film but if anyone does genuinely think that all the more power to you i just like i think we can still bond for like just the the like spectacle that is cats in general
1: oh yeah i had more fun watching cats than i had watching cross
3: Oh, I just absolutely got, same. Absolutely same. Yeah,
5: I, I haven't seen it yet, but I get the feeling that, you know, the people who made it just went for it. And, and they the, went and, for it. And, and, Tom and Hooper so just I, went I for it. I respect that. Like, I, I have a big respect for that because it's hard to just go for it with something like that, in, especially a big production like that that's that's, you know, has a huge appeal. So, hey, you know... <laughs>
1: So, since you are a guest, I have a couple questions for you. First and foremost, if no one has ever heard of the Middle Geeks or Into the Spider cast or But Why though, what are they?
3: Oh well, thank you for uh, asking about that. So I'll start with the last one. But Why though the podcast dot com started by uh, some of my wonderful friends uh, Kate, Matt, uh, Adrian, um, and that. Extended into this amazing website that's taken off in the last few years. But why though podcast .com we have an amazing array of writers and contributors and podcast on our network talking about all things pop culture all things that we love and it's a really great community of writers to be a part of and I'm a writer and assistant editor for the website part of that are the but why though podcast network is one of my podcasts into the spider cast which i do with my co -host cj we review and discuss every piece of spider -man spider woman spider girl uh whatever spider person there is in the marvel universe or really the spider -verse and just discuss it and you know we cover comics we cover tv shows we cover films all you know, obviously, the namesake of our podcast is into the Spider Verse. So if that was the first film we discussed. We've actually discussed it twice on our podcast. We love that movie so much, and yeah, it's just there's so much content to consume within the Spider Verse, and we love it so much. And uh, my third uh, thing you mentioned, uh, the Middle Geeks. So uh, I am Kurdish American. I am Middle Eastern, and you know, growing up as a fan of that, fan of of genre but being middle eastern not always seeing yourself and You know, thankfully, I'm able to see myself a bit more, including as I'll discuss in this episode. But The Middle Geeks is born out of me and my friend May. She is Lebanese -American, and we're two Middle Eastern American geeks who discuss all of the content we love and how it relates to the Middle East and North Africa or MENA fandom and media. And we talk about some great breaking news about what's going on for MENA peoples and how we're breaking into the entertainment and geeks space and uh yeah you should check that out these are uh projects that are very important to me so yeah thank you for letting me discuss them thank you
1: no problem um so what is it about star wars resistance that you love so much because we were taught chatting beforehand um and actually sora and i met over star wars resistance what was it the animation panel at dragon con
3: yeah it was yeah yeah it was about like two was it two years ago Oh think, yes, 2018. Yes. Yeah, time. Oh man, this whole show is gone?
5: is built by DragonCon panels. <laughs> yeah, we that's actually how Hope and cr- I'm
3: at. Yeah, <laughs> I miss DragonCon. I mean, Me like it. W- I definitely would not have gone if they still had it on, but that's a subject for another I'm tra- day.
1: I'm trying to get a uh, Arzu to come. <laughs> oh yes
3: excellent yes yes we need to get her, her right there she's amazing
1: I, i'm helping her with her Martian roe fan fiction <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, uh yeah so star wars resistance so i okay so growing up i was a huge star wars fan i was a huge star wars fan in the last several years pre -trust uh to be quite honest my star wars fandom has overall dwindled considerably uh for a multitude of reasons like i don't talk about it often on social media or engage in podcasts on it anymore i still have like many friends in the community you know friends i support in their podcasting endeavors and such but i um you know, I've, I've, like, i really, you know, realized, like, my main love is superhero content. Marvel, DC, uh, you know, that's, like, and I love fantasy, like, Avatar The Last Airbender. Like, I love animation. I consume so many amazing animated series. I love she from Netflix, and uh, I also really enjoyed uh, overall, at least the first two seasons of Star Wars Rebels, and I liked Clone Wars, but, you know, with... Star Wars Resistance, a show that, you know, and I say, like, I, my fandom has dwindled. But the thing is, like, I do still like certain parts of Star Wars considerably and uh, Star Wars Resistance, especially, which I think overall is just a brilliant show. Uh, it is an incredibly diverse show, you know, both in front of and behind this, the scenes. Uh, these It has amazing characters who have such rich dynamics with each other. And... I love the animation, I love the acting, I love the storylines and the themes that it explores. And I also love how it doesn't really have any Jedi or Sith or Force users involved in it. This is a show about regular people you know making their way in the galaxy and having to deal with the political forces and dynamics at play. So in terms of like how grounded it is and being able to get this perspective of people during the sequel trilogy who are just trying to make sense of the grand, all the grand things that are going on above them. It just like is done so well. And you get to like really care about these characters. You become really invested in them. And, I will be forever bitter that Lucasfilm decided that they apparently only needed two seasons of Resistance. And we discussed this before we started recording, but I am firmly of the belief that it's because something changed in their plans between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. And for some reason, that necessitated the cancellation of Resistance, which I think was going to go much more on whatever that original plan for Tross was. I wish they had just Change storylines, you know, you can do that. And and I'm sure the animators and storyboard artists are like very reflexive to that. But uh apparently not. So I guess here we are. You know, for the two seasons of Resistance we had, I love it. I um haven't gone back and watched it. I actually just wa- went back and watched the episode. We're gonna discuss Sonara's score this morning, and yeah, I really loved it, and I still love the show. So It'll be a short uh, show of two seasons that will stand uh, of it in its quality above the rest, uh, you know, just like Fleabag. So, you know, but this is in animation. So, yeah, that's so, where I'm at.
1: So two things about what you said. Um, I always say that the show is about how the wars of Star Wars affects everyday people. And that's why it's so important. Um, it... it this show feels to me like the most tied into our real world. Like we were talking about the children of Tahar and like Kel and Ayla are, you know, they're refugees and they have that story that hasn't really been explored that much in Star Wars about like how do refugees find their way in this this galaxy far, far away. And and it's so tied to our real world. Like um, we will eventually get to the episode The Disappeared. And that has very vivid Holocaust imagery in it, uh, and I, that's what I love about this show so much—is it feels the most real than any of the other animated shows.
5: Yeah, I I think um, you know the 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 other shows and you know the movies to a a, a certain extent re- would reflect, you know modern our modern times and the or you know the human condition or or whatever, but they're from the but they're they're. It's it's all the people who are the heroes and the armies and you know, the the politicians and stuff and this is just yeah, day to day you know, existence and we always get that as like a sort of side dish here and there, you know, but it's just an old lady going, Storm's coming, Annie, or so you know, something like that, or an offhand comment here and there, but or an you know, an odd episode of Clone Wars or or something like that. But this like yeah it digs into it and and uh it's great i I love just the mechanical aspect of how things work and you know I mean just see you know how money works and stuff like that, which we've never seen in fuel being an issue that's always uh they sort of they sort of started with that a little in rebels, but yeah, I like it and 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 the politics involved in it or the you know the human condition stuff. Is more relatable because most of the people who are watching it aren't politicians and senators and space heroes and, you know, military leaders.
3: Yeah, exactly. You can relate to them like putting yourself in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. How would you make your way there?
5: If I got if I got, you know, I mean, let's not fool ourselves. If any of us got plopped down in the Star Wars galaxy, we'd probably end up pumping gas. Rather than fighting with a lightsaber somewhere, you know that's just usually how it works—the <laughs> law of averages. And and this. so this is if you were going to actually really be in this galaxy, this is this would be more, you know, like I, I keep telling Hope if I was, I think the sh- you know the show was skewed a little towards little kids. If I had been like eight years old when I was watching this, it would have just like. I, I would have been subsumed in the in the atmosphere of the of the whole station and this and I and like the two the two little refugee kids I would have instantly identified with them and wanted to live in the in the bowels of of you know this this dirty station mm.
1: So, and the other thing I just was going to say is that Chris and I have another podcast. It's an animation podcast, and Chris is about to watch Avatar for the first time.
3: Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, here's the yes. sad part.
5: I've seen the movie. I saw the M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, no. First. Yeah. And then, and I. But at least I recognized. I I watched it on a whim, because it was one of those... That and the one with... um will will smith and his son i both watched just because i was like whoa you know those are both sort of m night shamalan movies but they're not they're just sort of for hire movies and i was like just so curious and i when i watched avatar the last airbender i i remember very little bit of it of it plot wise what 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 there was of it but i remember watching it going i know nothing about avatar the last airbender but i can tell that this is getting it totally wrong. <laughs> whatever the, whatever this is doing, this is not this does is not reflective of the uh the the, the its original work because it, the original work would have had to have been good to have justified this movie
1: and i haven't seen the movie so what i'm thinking is when we get to the end of season 1 i'm going to watch it
5: for the first time with chris <laughs> it's sort it might oh, be no. sort of a cats it might be don't sort have. of a cats
3: type thing it oh no 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 cats wreck. cats i'm certain is way better cats is oh yeah so far yeah yeah substantially better. I
5: mean, <laughs> but it's I mean, a tra- it's a train wreck and and it could be it, it could it could be grueling but cats is a f-
3: but cats is a fun train wreck yeah. Yeah. that's the key difference yeah yeah yeah
5: <laughs> No, I'm saying watching the Last Airbender like if Hope and I sat at our house and just watched it by ourselves it would be a, pro- a grueling but if we watched it together where we can commiserate and laugh it, it could probably be a lot of fun because
1: Yeah, yeah I I'm, I'm still debating if I'm going to put myself through that.
5: Yeah, we'll, we, we'll we'll you know, <laughs> we'll play it by ear. We don't have to do it. We you know. So it's our show, we get to do what we want.
1: So the last question I want to give you, which is, you know, we I pretty much was like, here's all of both seasons and you get to choose which episode you're in. So what is it about this episode that you wanted to talk about?
3: I love Sonara. She's the best. She is the best. I love her. Just like she has such an interesting arc throughout the show, you know, not to spoil anything and just. There's so much depth given to this character. This character who, like, comes in, she's not initially part of the main cast. She could almost be considered an interloper, but she has such great dynamics, you know, on both the heroic side and maybe the less heroic side. But as one of those people who's just trying to get by in the galaxy, like, you can understand things from her point of view so well. You know, she's smart. She's very... you know, like, street-wise, she's very captivating. This character is so captivating. And honestly, for me, as, like... Okay, so she's obviously an alien. However, you notice, like, she has an accent. You know, very sort of distinct accent. So on the topic of, like, you know, aliens being adapted as you know, caricatures of real life people of color or black and indigenous people of color. You know, Star Wars has frankly not had the best record on. You know, I nope. think we call it. No, she's sort yes. she nope. of Natasha from Rocky and Bullwinkle a little bit. Right. You know, and no, no no no, no. no but no but here's no but here's the thing. I think actually Sonara is like a break from that. And like for a couple of reasons. I'll get into. Um but yeah in general like you know Star Wars has had so much that they've done wrong, frankly. However, with Sonara, you have her voiced actually by a Parsi actress. Now, the Parsi people are people who originally, like uh, hundreds of years ago, lived in Iran and who have always practiced Zoroastrianism, which is the original religion of Iran. And I mentioned before, I'm Kurdish -American, and Kurds are close to Iranians in many ways, including in that origin of Zoroastrianism. So what the Parsis did, when Islam started to become really prominent in Iran, the Parsis, hundreds of years ago, migrated to India, and that's where they became you know, the people they are today, the Parsis, which literally means I believe in Hindi, like Persians, Parsi. So I feel like a connection with her like that, you know, her actress is played by someone who's actually kind of in this, yeah, who is in the same ethno -linguistic family as, you know, my people are. So in a way, like with uh, Senara, even though she's an alien knowing that her actress is that maybe that i could see her as being coded as parsi i feel represented in her and again it's not like a caricature it feels like something that's really organically imbued into the character and it's like you know th- just knowing that and you know her having that accent just like it makes me so happy watching as a fan as a person of color as a Encouraged American brown person, you know, from the Middle East. It feels great.
1: Well, you guys ready to get into this?
3: Yeah, let's do it. I am.
1: So, quick thing if this is your first time listening to the show, hello, welcome to Jay Guys and Jedi. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a few new people listening because our lovely Guessara is here. Um, we are a Not Safer Word podcast. There will probably there will be swearing. I don't even say know why I'm saying probably there's gonna be swearing. And we also have a dirty our third podcaster, Dirty Yoda. You're about to meet Dirty Yoda in a minute, so I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. Apologize in
5: advance. Yeah,
1: sorry. It's like
5: it's like Beetlejuice or Candyman. He just sort of pops in after.
1: Yeah, we're gonna give you your complimentary spray bottle in a minute.
5: Yeah. That's the good thing is a couple sprays in the face and he'll hop hop away and.
1: So just, just just a heads up if you have, like, like children in the car or something. We, we are a not safe for work podcast. I just want to give anybody new a fair, fair warning. So <clears throat> here we go. Sonara's Score is the eighth episode of Star Wars Resistance, and it aired on November 18th, 2018. It was written by Gavin Hignite and directed by Bosco Ing. Some extra information for you. When Yeager tells the pirate, get off my lift, it is an homage to Harrison Ford's classic line, Get off my plane, from Air Force One. The hover lift design is based on designs developed for Star Wars The Clone Wars. Tam makes a reference to an old VF-72 gunner ship as a possible salvage ship, and this is a nod to a U.S. Navy aviation unit during World War II, and this show was very heavily um, influenced from um, Dave Filoni's love of like aviation and stuff. In this episode, we get a closer look at the pirates and their patched-together stormtrooper armor, showing their relationship to the First Order supplying them. Even Sonara has stormtrooper boots, to hint at her connection with the pirates. Alright, so here is your complimentary water bottle. So, at any time when you're just, you know, need and feel the need to, you can just go psst, pss, pss, pss,
4: pss, mm-hmm. and,
1: and, and and Dirty Yoda will leave. Cool.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> it's a stupid
1: bit just roll
3: <laughs> oh i'm rolling don't worry
1: uh, hi yoda how you
3: doing <laughs> oh hi mm.
1: <laughs> so how how are you just the... walking by
2: oh, oh new person
1: mm. yes we have a we have a guest this week please please
3: master yoda yes so
2: first person to call yoda master yoda yes good guest yes oh
1: we've never called you master in 258 episodes
2: never
1: oh you don't deserve it once well so i just want to know just to kind of date this episode a little bit and even though it's not going to come out for a few weeks whatever yoda what What did you do for Valentine's Day? Did you have, like, you know, get treats? Did you treat yourself to the bog swamp? Like, what was your...
2: Oh, well, there was a soak, yes. Hmm? Moisture, yes. Moist. Moist. And, uh... Yoda sent Yoda singing Candy Graham. Yeah.
4: Did
1: you get a Candy Graham from Yaddle?
2: No, Yoda sent it to himself. Hmm.
1: So, did Yaddle didn't
2: send you a lovely candy gram? No. Yaddle doesn't send Yoda nothing.
4: Aww. Yoda doesn't
2: isn't, want anything from stupid Yaddle. Isn't Yaddle
3: dead? Sorry. I don't oh. know where we are, where this Yoda um, is in the timeline.
4: It's an
1: omnipresent timeline. <laughs> He's in all timelines.
2: Oh, uh, Yaddle is fine. Fine. Nothing happened to Yaddle. Not dead. She's not dead. Master Yoda.
3: Master Yoda, what did you do to Yaddle? No. Dirty liar, your guest is.
1: No, you are. I seem to recall Yaddle going to walk in the bog and she didn't come back.
2: Oh, maybe still getting moist. Moister and moister. Can
1: you stop saying moist?
2: Moisting in the force.
1: Okay, so I'm just gonna take my... That's not
2: how the force works. Okay. <laughs> M- uh, much moisture in Yoda. <mastering meio Suzuki> hey Yoda, Yoda sweetie. <BLACK> hmm?
4: <mist poner nya> <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: Chris, I think Yoda killed yao I, This is a development.
5: <laughs> Yoda has done a lot of things. I'm thinking. <laughs>
1: Anyway, so I'm going to take a sip
5: of my drink. getting old and get slipping a lot, I think. It's, uh, I don't know. I don't think he knows that the show is broadcast anywhere. I think he's, thinks he's just hanging out. Okay. I don't, I don't know why I'm whispering. He's a force master. Yeah. He knows
3: all. Yeah. Anyway,
1: act one, everybody.
3: I'm ready. Yes, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: in your voice i'm just like can we please it's awkward yeah. and i don't like it
5: you don't dwell on yoda
1: no nah. it came out of a bit um during because you know in clone wars they have those little platitudes mm-hmm. at the beginning and it came out of him reading those and adding in bed at the end
3: oh so then we get <laughs> the, the old fortune cookie trick i mean listen if it worked it works you gotta do what it, you gotta do for your it, podcast.
5: It, <laughs> it worked surprising it worked really surprisingly well with those platitudes too, sometimes horribly so. <laughs> and then, then we hit this part
1: when we hit rebels of and like people like real are, are you know, people listen like really liked Yoda and we we're like, well, we don't wanna get rid of Yoda. What do we do with him? So it's turned into him being an old man in the bog doing gross things. For, I ah. would like
3: to unsee that, please. <laughs>
1: it's been here way too long we should probably get rid of it
5: anyway yeah like he got rid of yaddle
1: oh chris act one you mean boy you
5: we'll hire a bounty hunter
1: we open on another beautiful day on the colossus The space seagulls are singing. The people are happy. Everyone's having a lovely day. That is everyone except Team Fireball, who is under a crunch time deadline because nobody but them knows if the platform is currently defenseless. You see, Captain Best Dad Emmanuel Doza is having them fix part of the platform's cannons that are really good at shooting pirates. But with no cannons then they could all die, and make them not canon anymore! Ah! Shut up, I'm really oh. proud of that stupid joke!
5: Oh boy.
1: <laughs>
5: Shut up, I love my joke!
1: I wrote it like three different ways, in the- in the thing, and then anyway. Doesn't matter, I found it funny! <laughs> anyway, Dose is like, Yeager, Bro. My bro. I gotta have those cannons back up you got like three hours and yeager is like you seem really panicky about these big pew pew things when we have you know an entire force of aces to protect us and is and like i might have sent every single one of the aces out on a supply run and yeager is like "Well, that was really dumb of you and doza's like look man look Resistance is a slice of life show. We got to put tension into the plot. And this is a really good episode with great character work for Sonara and Tam. So the plot doesn't always have to matter all the time. And you can't really argue with that and says that the cannons will be up with no time. Turns out that they need this like military grade ship or whatever to go inside the big pew pew things. And now Tam and Cass have to go find it. And Niku is just precious and he's just the best boy and we just have to mention Niku is there too. So
4: oh,
3: good setup.
1: You. Oh, thank you. So Tam and Kaz head off to everyone's favorite gay uncles who need a spin-off show, Orca and Flex. Who are both who both take Kaz by the hand and they're like, Sweetie, it's so flattering that you think that we have this super rare part. You sweet summer child. You have so much to learn. But we still love you though. And Kaz is like, look, my new favorite uncles, we don't have time for your adorable shenanigans today. We need to know where we can get this part. So Orca and Flix, sorry, I'm making myself laugh. So Orca, what you don't see is I'm acting this out. So Orca and Flix said that they should check out the scavenger's dock on the platform where they might be in luck. And Kaz has an idea of someone who might just be able to help them out our amazing pirate mom who like everybody else in the show is the best and they find pirate mom sonara down at the scavengers level you know bludgeoning a man with a heavy object and tam is like ah kaz you didn't tell me she was perfect and beautiful and strong and smart and will be my future girlfriend And Kaz tries to act all cool and knowledgeable, and he's just confusing the crap out of Sonara, who just wants to do her super -secret job. So Tam slides in there and tells Sonara what they need. And then they lock eyes, and the music swells. Chris, add in some swelling music right here. Very romantic, very romantic music right here, thank you. And just like that, two little lesbian girlfriends meet, and it was beautiful. Anyway, Sonara thinks that she has what they need, and she goes to check it out. And Kaz is a bit sad, because he thought he had it all under control. And Tam is like, look, dude, what we're doing is way too important to bring your ego into this at the moment. Please remember that we're on a deadline here. And Sonara suddenly slides back there and goes, I have one more in perfect condition, and just curious, why would you need this super rare part that would absolutely fit into the platform cannons that just happen to be down? and Kaz yells non -specific excuse, and they pay for the part and leave. Back in the shop, Kaz and Tam are all excited about how cool Sonara was, but it's time for them to get back to work, because the platform is still defenseless, for plot reasons. Meanwhile, Yigar is meeting with best dad, Doza, who is noivous. He shares with Kaz that the pirate's strategies have been changing, and Doza's like, I don't know, Yigar, but it's like, the pirate's order has changed to where the first target It's like we moved up into their order first. Like it's some kind of, I don't know, like I'm sure there's a word for it, like a new empire for pirates or something. I just don't know. And Doza admits that even when they're up and running, the Colossus is barely hanging on. And Ygr's like, oh, well now, that is brand new information. Well, we're going to definitely get the cannons up ASAP. No pressure by. And during all this, Sonara's outside checking out the cannons, because she realizes there must be something up with them. And she calls her pirate boss, Craig, and to share that she thinks that he can attack pretty darn soon, maybe in, like, the, I don't know, next 16 minutes of the episode. So she, as soon as she gets the confirmation, he will come and attack. What do you think of Act 1, my friends? Oh, <laughs>
3: yeah. I, thumbs <laughs> up. Yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was good setup. And so... I don't know if anyone watches Star Trek here, but he I've recently resi- I've recently started Deep Space Nine. Really love it. Uh, i on like the in the uh, towards the end of the first season, and I'm like on episode eleven, and I find it really fascinating how on that show, kind of unlike other Star Trek series, they focus so much like on this single station and all the dynamics mm-hmm. between these characters. Uh, so, you know, watching Resistance now, and I've, cause I've only recently gotten into Star Trek, I'm now like a huge Star Trek fan, uh, or like, and, and like, uh, I realized that Resistance took a lot of cues from Star Trek and Deep Space Nine, the station. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, so I really love that. I really love how, um, sustainable a show can be all based on the dynamics of its characters and when it's not just about the exploration i mean the exploration is great we love that but forcing your characters to be in one location kind of like strengthens them in their dynamics i know what do you think of that
1: i'm not the star trek person so i'm gonna tag off with chris who is
3: i yeah i i i totally agree
5: i i think and and when deep space like i'm i'm old enough that my first star trek was captain kirk you know original star trek and then like when i was in college that's when uh, next generation was coming out and i still have i'm saving deep space nine and voyager and enterprise to now that it's you know we're in binge days you know to just have like star trek in reserve sort of feels nice but um when when Deep Space Nine came out. It really polarized Star Trek fans because were, because it was the first um, Star Trek that was sort right. of down to earth and morally ambiguous, whereas all the other Star Trek had focused on the Enterprise, which is the flagship of the you know Starfleet, and everybody on it is gung ho Starfleet. And Deep Space Nine was the making the sausage. Series and it and it was a lot darker than than um than um resistance, but just in structure, I think it's very similar. And once you're in that structure, it's a different thing. You know, this this has a huge cast of characters, whether they're just walk-ons or you know whether they're just buffing the floor or they're sort of in the middle like Gorka and Flicks. But you sort of have to uh hold a similar formula i mean just i mean just the concept of it you know they're they're both just sort of like a station a, a, a wayfaring station with commerce in it in the in the middle of nowhere uh, on the on the um on the edges and uh yeah it makes for it it makes for characters that are more relatable you know n- n- you we're we're sort of in some way more to aspire to like the characters on the next generation rather than identify with them as much, you know, or we're identifying with a higher part of us. Whereas on deep space nine, this is what would, you know, this is if you got a
3: job, this is what you'd be doing. Right. Exactly. That like really relatable energy of just trying to make your way through like this one space station and, yeah. And, and you know, I can't help but think of like uh, what my friend Caitlin on Sky Talkers, you know, she loves the Colossus so mm-hmm. much and would always talk about that in her recaps. And it's not hard to see why. It's like an amazing, amazing structure in so many ways. And, you know, as you all will see in season two, especially, it's like, yeah, yeah so it's just when yep. you have like a single location that's able to have like that much variation and it never get boring it's yeah it's fantastic. all world building yeah. it's, all, it's like
5: world building within world building and that's that's the stuff that i like because uh, it, you know eventually i think that's very skewed towards the nerd brain is like you know having a space you can you can habitate and explore I mean, that's yeah. one of my
1: favorite things about the Colossus is because it, it is a small city, pretty much. Yeah. And it has its own exactly. st- social structure. You have the high tower where the aces are, and it's clean, and it's pristine, and that's where all the rich people are. And then you have those like, middle-grade uh, areas like Antsy's Cantina, and Orca and Flix, and they're a little bit dirtier, but you can see that's where the commerce is. And then you get down in like the engineering level, and it's just dirty, and that's where the to- turtle folk are. And it, my, like one of my favorite Part of the show is exploring social structures in just one location and it's it's kind of um yeah. oh what's the word um not a microchasm oh what's the word it,
3: yeah, it's microcosm like a, definitely
1: oh yeah, yeah yeah of like the bigger galaxy as a whole
3: totally yeah, yeah. like yeah that, that's i love actually,
1: that like coruscant's my favorite planet in star wars and what i love about coruscant is because it, there's so much you have like the the higher-ups like the senate and the palace and like the jedi and stuff and then you have like the deep like deep deep in the darkness in the lower levels and i think that's why i love the colossus so much is because it's like coruscant but in one tiny place
5: yeah coruscant seems like you could if you just live there you could explore it your entire life and like get a little tour of the galaxy just from that
1: so chris what are a couple of your notes for
5: this um this struck me and it's funny it's working well into what we were talking about a little, little bit ago with orca and flicks is they are just the classic and there the, there was examples of this in deep space nine with characters who are just sort of side characters and end up being like super interesting and but they in the early like you know like larry daryl and daryl from the old new heart show or um Lenny and I'm I'm doing all old people shows now, <laughs> but you know, just a, these sort of side characters that just sort of turn up, and 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 you know, Orca and Flick are Flicks are always in their in their shop, and it's always, you know, one of them's in the front, and will wind up the protagonist, and then the other one will just come out of the back and and knock down the last pin, in their in their little joke, and it's just a, sort of like a nice little formula. But if this went on and on for season after season, I think you'd be finding like a lot of fans writing in and eventually like organ flicks being worked into the story more. You know, that's when when we were first watching the first couple episodes, it was just like they, you know, they they purposely, I think, gave themselves so many characters that if any of them became very, you know, interesting or, you know, intriguing, they could develop them you know or they could just sort of have them function in there or if nobody cared about them or they weren't fun to write for they could just sort of drift off in the distance and nobody would notice but i think orca and flicks would have been would have been the the run if this had gone on like six seasons like clone wars or something they would have been there would have been orca and flicks you know merchandise and stuff after a while i think they would have been uh yeah
1: I still want a spinoff show where it's and then it, it doesn't even have to be canon. I'm totally cool if it's a not canon show. Just a
5: domestic sitcom.
1: No, 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 Chris. No, no, no. That's what I want. It right. is it is Orca and Flix as Rosencrantz and Guildenstern going through the sequel trilogy, but with like big game musical numbers. Oh, my
3: God. So you, so, you know, like what have you ever seen? That totally reminds me of uh, this one particular uh, Disney uh, straight to video film. Have you all ever seen The Lion King one and a half? No. No, I don't. Oh, oh, hope, hope, hope. You would love it. It's it's definitely your shit. You would love it.
1: I know, I know, I would. And like they just did it over at a, a geeky waffle spinoff, like straight to home video. And I'm just like, I have not yes. seen this. <laughs> I I did their Lion King two episode and I was just like I haven't seen it yet and it's been on my lists for like a decade and I just haven't sat down and done it I know I know, but I want that for like work and flicks and and I, and I that's such a strength of this show is the side characters you know I think that's why Sonara is able to fit in so quickly at the Colossus is just
4: mm-hmm.
1: she's just just oh, I love it I love it. Um, what about you Swar? What else? did you have any other notes for this act? Uh.
3: Well, not particularly. Um, just again, love Sonara, love like that she's just trying to make her way through the galaxy in this microcosm of the galaxy that is the Colossus and can't wait to discuss more of her in the episode.
1: Yeah. The only other note I had, um, is we get to see like two of Kaz's really defining traits. And it was in his conversation with Tam and BBA and BBA it's like, Well, I don't trust her. And Kaz's two of his traits is his kindness, but he actually has really good instincts. He might not always realize that he has good instincts, but he does.
3: He does. I love Kaz. He's like, probably other than Sonara, like my favorite character on the show.
1: He is so complex. And I think the slapstickiness of his character is what people write off so fast. And there's so many levels, but like he flat out says he doesn't trust Sonara, but he still wants to stick with her. And I, that's such an important piece to Sonara's character journey is to have, and like we also see this later with Tam as well, is having people look out for her for the first time in her life.
3: Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love Sonara so much.
5: <laughs> I love me too. It's funny. I was flipping through my notes and I can see the, the, because um, I, 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 I think Kaz, of course, early on, you know, I griped about him being kind of just like, you know, repeating the same mistakes over and over again. But it's really only about three episodes. It takes about three episodes where his character arc goes from annoying to me to, to you know, intriguing and likable, you know, where it starts getting complex enough where you're just like, actually, he's a pretty good spy. And, you know, in the initial, his initial, he's such, He says his initial introduction to the station was as such a bumbler that nobody's going to take him seriously or suspect him as a spy. So it ends up being like, he has the best cover and uh, yeah. Yeah. And it only, yeah, it's, it's the felony formula in like fast forward with this, this whole show, this whole I mean, run.
1: We're going to get to it in act three, but you know, eight episodes in, he couldn't have put in a track in computer episode one.
5: Right, right.
1: And this is, like, that was only, what, seven episodes ago? Six episodes ago? Well, I don't even know where we are. So, I mean, he... And we talked about this, like... When he makes mistakes, he learns from them. Like when he falls down the chute in episode two, he then knows to use the chutes as a travel, traveling mechanism in Children of Tahar. And that's such a brilliant thing for them to do, is to take these like slapstick humor bits and actually use them to further his character development. It's just such a good thing that they do. But anybody else have any notes for Act One before we move on?
5: Um, I only have two other just sort of surface notes. Uh, another just Jedi, you know, this is this is like the first show with no jay guys and no jedi but they do mention kyber crystals in it so it's just like just on the edges and maybe it's because jaeger got more close-ups in this he got some dramatic close-ups in this show but he looks older in this episode like his face to me looked looked older and and maybe he's having a bad week or something it went-
1: 'Cause he's usually in the um repair shop. So yeah. like being in Doza's office, it's much more brighter.
5: In the sunlight, yeah. But it, it was it, it, he was he showed it, he was seemed to be showing his age more. He looked more like he was in his fifties than in his like forties.
1: He probably is closer to his fifties, he fought. In yeah. The rebellion, so yeah, 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 that would <laughs> yeah, that would make more is.
5: sense. Yeah. Yeah, but or maybe he's, ha- just ha- he's been working hard this week or something, but something, something about him just looked... When all the close-ups of his face made him look older.
4: All That's right. <clears throat>
1: Act two?
5: I'm ready for Act it. Act two?
1: So Team Fireball is working away in the hangar, right? And they're getting stuff done. It's going really well. But suddenly, Niku turns and says, Hey, Kaz Tam. Remember the running bit in this episode where Yuga said that I am not allowed to talk, so I don't spoil that we're working on something very confidential?" And Kaz is like, uh, yeah, we were all there, Nico." And so Nico's like, okay, then I will not tell you that Tan's new girlfriend is standing right behind you, just so you know. And everyone panics, and they're all like, hey, Sonara, you're here! Hey, why, why are you here? This is normal. We normally talk like this in very heightened voices. <laughs> and is playing it all cool. She brings them a gift basket full of lies and tries to bribe them with machine parts. But she sees that they're working on the tracking computer. One that goes into the big pew pew cannons. And I lo- oh, shit, I lost my spot. There I am. And Cass is like, nah, no, nah, this is a, it's a Keurig machine. A very, very big Keurig machine for coffee. You know, coffee is important. Anne -Z wants a Starbucks. She's going to get a full Starbucks in her... Anyway, thanks for coming. Bye. And in the funniest bit of this entire episode, Sonora just doesn't leave. And Cass just keeps waving at her as she stands there. Cass just goes, goodbye. Bye now. See you later. And it's comedy gold, and I love it. So Tam offers to buy Sonara lunch in exchange for the parts, and they head out on their first date together, you guys. And go on their first date. And it's lovely, and I love them. Oh my god. And Kaz wants to get food, too. The best boy, Niku, is also the best wingman for, Kat, for Tam, and he keeps Kaz from going with the women. And guys, we get Tam Backstory! Tam Backstory! it turns out that Taya moved from place to place with her father, who was a pro racer. And she wanted to be a pilot herself, but she lost a race and she lost her ship. So now she's at the Colossus, just trying to, you know, survive and save up for another racer, like the fireball that her boss and father figure just keeps shouting out to this new kid who keeps wrecking it. And Snara looks at her, seeing someone very much like herself. And for a moment, she's presented with a new choice and direction in life. But then, all of the aces launch and fly away. And Sonara is put back into her old ways and realizes it's time to strike. And Tam realizes that they have to finish the navigation computer on the Pew Pew cannons. And even Kaz runs out there and goes, Tam, we have to finish the Keurig machine! And Tam runs off with Kaz, and Sonara calls up Craig and saying it's time to attack. Back in the shop, Yeager is all like, Let's go, people! Time to get the pirates! The pirate attack could be in the next 12 minutes of this episode! And Cass just has to say, what are the chances that the pirates could attack in the next 12 minutes of the episode? And right on cue, the pirate shows up and everyone just deadpan stares Cass like he's a member of the office or something. Bum bum bum. Bum bum bum. What you guys think of rec too? <laughs> I hope this is entertaining. I spend a lot of time on this. <laughs> They're dumb.
5: I mute out so you don't hear
3: reactions, but like, yeah, I am reacting. I just love Sonara and Tam so much. Like this is like where, yeah, yeah, like Tam and Sonara are speaking with each other, right? So, um, yeah, I just, um, just like how much they're able to bond about, you know, wanting more for themselves in life and Tam like also just really opening up to Sonara. It's really wonderful to see. I love Tam. I love Tam so much. <laughs> She like I think honestly Tam overall gets the best character arc in Resistance mm-hmm. it's just like Yeah re- overall really well done <laughs> I wish there was more time for it, and all the other characters, I will again, forever be bitter about it, but, you know, for what we get, I think it's, like, really great. Oh, her character,
5: I, her character arc is almost, like, tied into the whole thesis of the
3: whole absolutely, show, you know? mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely,
1: absolutely. I always like, thought it would be interesting, like, when she was part of the—sorry for cutting you off—like, uh, when she was part of the First Order, if they could actually explore the Huck spy storyline. And she's just like, oh, we could work together on this.
3: That would have been good. And just like, wait, so, oh, my God, wait. I'm just making that connection now. Wait, so the spot, no, wait. Like, sorry, I got that reversed where, okay. I thought I made a connection for a second about, like, the completely dropped storyline of there being a first order spy on the Colossus. When oh, they I just, have we were that just question talking
5: right. about that last yeah. episode. They
3: completely dropped that. And then you mentioned the Hux storyline. I was like, Oh man, was Hux a spy? But now it was the opposite I, for Hux. So he couldn't. Have
1: I have that written down for you in act three as a question. <laughs> so, Let's oh my go ahead gosh. and address that now, because uh said that Kaz was never the only spy on the platform, mm-hmm. and and of course it doesn't ever play out. So like, what are your thoughts on this? Because that just, was in the promotion material. It was in yeah, the first episode. I
3: I just like don't understand why. Like I they they had to, here's the thing. They had so much else planned. I don't understand why this was literally never brought up again in the show, unless they would decide to save it all the way until season three. But even that's weird. So I hmm. I think they just
5: kept yeah. were keeping their options open and it just True. never either never developed. And like what Jaeger said is so uh, could be taken so many ways. I mean it could just be another way of saying this is a wretched hive of scum and villainy so there's oh you know it's crawling with spies you're you're never going to be the only spy here there's 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 always going to be a bunch of them or it could you know and it leaves it open you know for further further seasons i always thought it
4: was
1: a red herring for tam story because we're so focused on kaz and his story and the season one narrative like kind of purposely ignores Tam, but it's part of the narrative of she's being ignored by Yeager and Kaz for their story, which is what pushes her towards tyranny. So I always thought it was just like, not that it's done. I don't think it's the best developed story, but I always thought it was kind of a red herring. So they could have that surprise of like, Oh God, Tam's leaving for the first order. Oh no. That was always kind of my feelings about it, even though it's, Wonky
5: I always thought they just dropped it because it never really. Usually, stuff in a in the Felony verse pays off, or or like when it does pay off, you Space you Wales. notice it. Space whales, I will. Yeah. Paid
1: it
5: off, yeah.
1: So to, to talk about uh, Sonara and Tam a little bit, I actually like think story wise they're very interesting, just narrative foils because they both came from have this kind of like found family and like this kind of like moving around sensation and stuff like that because sonara is with the pirates and tam is now with her found family of team fireball and we know that from season two like sonara was found by the pirates and craig and raised her um and sonara is shown kindness on the colossus which is what makes her go against her pirate family in season two and start starts a new life but it starts here in this episode where she's getting shown that kindness but Tam goes on the opposite path. She has this found family, but she's lied to. And then Tyranny manipulates her, which makes her go against her found family, just how Sonara goes against the pirates. But it's a different trajectory because she goes to the First Order. And it, it, But they have this very similar beginning, which is why it hits it off so well, but it makes it so much more tragic that like Tam goes off in this horrible direction. But Sonara finds a new life and a new direction because she's given these new choices and paths for her to have a much happier life and a different life and i i just i find them being very interesting character foils to each other
3: i love that uh connection you made there and for sonara specifically it's about being shown genuine kindness from tam and kaz and others being like we like you for you. We think you're interesting. We think that uh, you're a cool person and we want to be friends with you. And the interaction Tam and Sonara have of Tam being like, oh wait, we haven't gotten there quite yet, but like, all right. you can talk about it. Well, yeah, time. it's it's Go like, um, you know, she's like, yeah, that's what friends are for. And it's just like so earnest and feels really like great from tam and sonara is just like you like genuinely like me for me not because like i can run a pirate job for you or be useful as part of a pirate team it's just about caring for someone because they deserve it inherently and that's just like a really beautiful message and i just like for sonar to see sonara receive that kindness and it's animated so well the voice acting is fantastic um i'm actually going to look up the voice actress her name um Nazneen? Wanna, yes
1: Nasneen uh con, oh, what's her last name sorry i don't have it in front of me
3: sorry let me get it right it's voice actress uh Nasneen contractor yes Nasneen contractor she is amazing in this role and um I just like you know she, again her voice is just like you can like the voice acting overall is just t- absolutely fantastic in this show and uh, you know the uh, voice voice cast director did an amazing job and I just like love the pathos that Nazneen brings to the role and it's just again just like done so so well. I love Sonara. She's well, a, and, and was it have... last, epi- oh, sorry, Chris. Was the last episode? Was it last episode? It was
5: one of the last couple episodes that Kaz had almost a very similar moment with Niku when he saw Niku, you know, lend some, give somebody some money to help him out. Yeah, it was last episode, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and you could see Kaz just going, wow, you know, you know, Niku just, and it's this that reflexive reaction. It was, um, and yeah. This is something like we talk about every once in a while, but it's always happening in these animated shows, especially as the animation gets better and better. But so much acting is done with little, you know, it's becoming more and more like having real actors there where you don't have to exaggerate the vocal cues or anything like that. So you have these real moments with facial acting and stuff and, that that moment you were just describing there, where she was just like, yeah, we came for you, you know, we want to make sure you were all right. And Sonora, just with a just with you know a facial expression and a look, was like, oh my god, they did that without thinking, you know, which is more of like a family sort of relationship than that, you know, a, or a close friend relationship. And you know, it's it's just instantly recognized without. Whereas they would have had to really project it, you know, back in. before the animation got this good and the people doing it were so skilled but yeah they pull off really subtle bits of acting and communication that you just you don't notice it till you start like analyzing it like we are now you know it just flies right by you because you're used to seeing real actors and actresses do that you know with their faces and stuff so yeah it was amazing scene and
1: like something i love about resistance is just so how many it's almost a show of paths it's a show of paths and choices um because as we were saying like sonara and tam have are very similar paths and very similar beginnings and they did this with actually um i won't go too much into it because we talked about this in our episode fuel for the fire but you know kaz and rucklin could very easily be similar characters and kaz could very easily be rucklin
3: yeah 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 totally yeah
1: and I that's what I like about the show is it's a series of paths and choices and every person in this show comes down to a single choice or decision and it puts them on just different trajectories and that's well, what yeah. fascinates me about this show because that's how it is in real life you know well, like you'll you will be with people and you'll be with friends and then you make a choice that takes you away from the people you know
5: well that's um, Tam's that's Tam's origin story of how she got there is like mm-hmm. a, a decision that went wrong And that leads to making me that my first thing was like, geez, I wonder how many people here on the station are basically indentured servants, you know, in some way, you know, they're just sort of stuck there because they're, you know, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, Tam isn't like, she can't, it's not that she can't leave if she didn't want to, but it's like, yeah, that's sort of just sort of,
1: but she's kind of tied to the fireball.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, but yeah, it's like what are the options, you know, for her? What are her pr- prospective, you know, jobs or things that she could do outside of the Colossus, out of what she's always known? And it's that sense of security, it's that sense of having a sense of community that you can trust, that you can gel with. And Tam, I think, genuinely does feel that she has that until you know, like later on in the series, unfortunately. And I, I love like uh, what you were saying, Hope, about this being all about like these individual choices and how these can go in different directions. And again, this like, this is why this show works so well. It's all about these individual character dynamics and how they interact with each other and how they influence each other into making either the right or wrong choices. So I will say, you know, what I think, we see with Sonara's arc and her interactions with Kaz, with Tam, with others, is her being influenced into making those right choices. And I love her so much for that. I think that, you know, it's interesting, you know, like when we talk about like Star Wars, you know, many people think about redemption and atonement. And like often, you know, it's frustrated me because death does not equal
1: atonement
3: right right exactly it's like it's not a light switch it's about a long sustained journey about doing the right thing which is why you know like Zuko in Avatar the Last Airbender sorry I don't Chris I'm sure like you've heard of this I'm not sure I don't think I'm spoiling anything but like that's why he's considered to have like one of the greatest redemption arcs or atonement arcs and like all of media it's brilliant because it takes place over time and that's what matters and i think we get some of that with sonara here i think that you know it's like at the end of this episode or the next episode it's like not necessarily that she's you know fully turned a leaf but she's been influenced enough where she starts to reconsider and change some of her change some of the things that she's doing and it feels more organic and so much more relatable and i just again i'm Love Sonara. Love her. Amazing to, character. Uh, to like,
1: compare her... Oh,
3: sorry.
5: The, it, Star Wars like used to be mo- just movies, so you had like two hours to this like, is true, yeah. wrap everything up and do cinematic shorthand, and then when they started doing TV shows, like all of a sudden they could do these more involved arcs, but this is even more... Co- this show is even more condensed than Clone Wars or Rebels because, A, it's not really dealing with any of the Major characters that have these, these tied in storylines and that, and arcs that are in the wider story. So this one can just purely focus on everybody's story arc. you know, Everybody's story arc can be this like the central thing about them, and it's not as much embroiled in the specifics of the larger story arc. They're blowing in that wind. So like this, this this show, if it if it gone on had like way more po- potential for you know having you know real motivations and real you know character payoffs instead of purely is you know having to focus on the plot payoffs.
1: That's that's actually why I, I well uh, something about that is that I, I argue that I think Bad Batch is actually going to be closer to Resistance than Clone Wars, and I mean that in storytelling.
3: Ooh, interesting. But,
1: because um, where resistance and I think this is where it kind of caught a lot of fans off guard is Clone Wars in Resist and Rebels both affect the overall plot of the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. Clone Wars is the story of the Clone Wars. Rebels is the story of the foundation of the Rebel Alliance. Like they actually affect the canon of the universe, but it's the opposite, like I was saying with Resistance, like, it's about how the wars of Star Wars affect everyday people. And nothing in the show affects the greater galaxy, and I think that's what caught a lot of people off guard, and, and that's why I made that joke at the beginning, where I was like, oh, we're sitting around with the aces. Well, plot doesn't matter. This is a character show, because it is. It's, it's a character show. kind
5: of liberating, actually, that you don't have to worry about that stuff, I Yeah, because you it, don't it,
1: go into every episode going like, oh, how is this going to affect the universe at large? No, and yeah, that's you where can
5: just sub- soak into this world
1: and that's where i think that where bad batch is going to be closer to this kind of storytelling and this was a test run for that because i can't see bad batch changing the fabric of the star wars canon i see it being a very personal story about how this group of this tiny family unit is changing and having to adapt to the world changing around them like i just can't see it being like clone wars i see it being a resistant show where it's very personal and it's, it's almost of a very private show and because it's only about a small group of people and how they adapt and how the wars of star wars affects the clones that are now being left behind and, and so like I, I i i think resistance was a trial run and i think we're going to get more shows like that i mean very much that's Mandalorian is just very much a—it's a it's a show of side quest it doesn't have a plot it's a show of side quest you know yeah. um, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that going into all these bajillion TV shows
4: that are coming
3: yeah I I've, definitely
5: concur you'd almost have to
1: Oh my God! I brought this up points up several times, and Chris is like, "Nah." And this is like the first time he was like, "Yeah, I see that." And so I'm just like, ha, ha. It took like 12 times bringing this up to Chris, and he's just like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to gloat well, with like my with seltzer the, water." You Glot, mean with gloat, the, you, you, gloat. you mean
5: with the bad batch, right? You're talking mm-hmm. about the bad batch.
1: Yeah, yeah.
5: Yeah, the bad batch. I just want all a reason to gloat to at you,
1: honey. Well, I just want it, a reason to gloat with my seltzer water.
5: It all it all <laughs> depends. It all depends with me with the bad batch. As to if it's going to go your, the way you're saying, whether they like they sort of set it up that it's going to be, you know, these guys end up with the Empire and like are sort of, you know, working with the the early form of the Empire, the Grand Moff Tarkin and stuff that may or may not be more than an episode or two. You know, they might after a while be like, you know, screw the Empire, this sucks, you know, and off they go. And if if it goes that way, definitely that's, you know, I mean, yeah, it could be a, just a nice little like tour of different worlds and stuff. I wanted
1: to be an exploration of, well, for one being, because the clones have always been, like, the last generation. So an exploration of that and their trauma and getting left behind and having to figure out what it is. And, my God, make one of them gay, because that would be great if they're all just like, yeah, go get that hot guy over there, brother. And they're like, we believe in you. And, my God, there's... It could be a really interesting, like, ex- exploration of trauma, which I do think Resistance started on. Resistance kind of, like, I-, I think they started going there with Kaz after he lost Hosni in Prime, but they didn't quite fully dive right. into that. Um, but I think mm-hmm. they could really go there with Bad Batch because it's a lot darker because these are soldiers who have lost everything. And I think they could really go there if they wanted to and make it very PG and glorious. Well, and they're,
5: Yeah. They're, they're people with, with their sole existence was war. You know, they, they are like a magnified and exaggerated version of like any, any um, people who are involved in a war and are done, you know, go home or get out of it or something. And they're just sort of, you know, traumatized and aimless and, and the, in this case, if they, like, break off from the Empire, they'll also be fugitives, too. So, I, I you know, I picture, I, I think they could, uh, and this wouldn't affect Europe, but I think there's going to be a large A-team um, vibe to it. Cause they're, they, I just imagine
1: uh, them in the van.
5: Well, they're that's what I'm going to so say. Well. They'll, they'll have the space version of a van. And uh, you know, I don't. You know, I'm surprised. Do do none of them smoke cigars, do they? But I'm surprised no. none of them are smoke, smoking space cigars. But it'll be that they could be like a. You know, they would be a great. You know, band of mercenaries.
1: That's actually the promotion of like they they become mercenaries. That's in the promotional yeah. material. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, Soar, did you have any other notes about Act Two? Or anything uh, to add to comment?
3: nothing to add i'm ready to move on chris um only one
5: slight light note more of our our resistance trope of uh since it's all in one place and they don't have to fly anywhere a lot of run a lot more running in this show i love that i love that everybody's got to just run from place to place in the star wars show it's so it's none of that hopping on speeder bikes or fly going into hyperspace and getting there you got to run through the hallways it's That's it's it.
1: so revolutionary to see like just running.
5: Yeah, it's fun. It's fun.
1: <laughs> it, it adds a different kind of tension to the show
5: because it's, it grounds it. It's it's it is a grounded show, you know. For as far as grounding gets in Star Wars, you know, even though there's spaceships flying all around and stuff, you gotta you gotta run through the hallways to get to where you go and hurry up.
1: So, Act Three.
5: I'm here for it. All right.
1: Act three. So the pirates are attacking. That's fun. And Team Fireball makes last minute fixes to the navigation computer and starts loading it up on the hover lift. But Tam rushes outside. She sees that the salvage area has been hit. And her thoughts go straight to her new girlfriend. By the way, thank you for letting me, like, openly ship and enjoying and coming along on my shipping ride. This is Hope's great big ship adventure. Welcome to J -Guys and Jedi.
5: Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum.
1: Yo ho ho, here we go. You guys should hear my rebels coverage, where I wrote an entire engagement scene for Callous and Zeb in the middle of the finale, and they got married in the finale. Oh, you
5: should have seen it. you should have seen it when we did the episode when Thron was doing his workout in his tights. Oh my <laughs> god,
1: <laughs> blue lesbian. Anyway, Tam runs to runs out and goes to find Sonara. Sorry, now I'm laughing. And Kaz sends BB -8 with Tam so he can stay with Yeager and Niku to get the cannons up and running. And Tam spots a pirate in the hallway, and she takes him out with a cart. And after she leaves, the lovable old lady, who always hits on Kaz for dates all the time, steals some stuff because she's amazing, and we love her. Tam gets out on the loading dock, where she immediately body checks a pirate to the ground. Ha! And she spots Sonara in the distance and starts tearing her way through pirates to get to her lady love. And she finally gets to Sonara just as a pirate finds them. So Sonara knocks out the pirate friend in one punch so she So he doesn't blow her cover. But she's really shocked that Tam is here. But what Tam says is that she would always come back for a friend. Sonara has this look like she just received kindness for the first time in her life. So they head out to fight some pirates, or in Sonara's case, you can't see me, I'm air quoting, FIGHT some pirates. Because girlfriends that punch pirates together stay together. Except that Tam goes to the First Order and leaves Sonara behind so we're not there yet, and I'll cry later when we get there. It's fine. I'll be okay. Kaz and Yeager zoom out of the repair shop and head up towards the cannons, swooping and diving and dodging pirates, and it's all pew 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 pew. And they spot the targeting computer at the same time that Kragan sees them. And Kragan is like, YAR! Don't let them repair ye old targeting computer! Just as Kaz and Yeager start putting up heavy... I can't read sunlight. Just as Kaz and Yeager start putting up the heavy thingy, the pirates strike! And poor Kaz, who is supposed to be a trained military man, but the demilitarization of the New Republic has left his Navy school kid woefully unprepared for these situations... He's just trying to survive, and not get stabbed. Yeager, on the other hand, is doing just fine, because, you know, he used to fight in the Rebellion, and he's in a slugfest with Kraven, Kragan, while on a hover lift. Yeager's great. Kaz gets up to the targeting computer, and sees that it didn't align correctly, but it's too heavy for him to, you know, slapstick his body against the thing. So Yeager gets the hover lift, and while punching the shit out of Kragan, he slams it into the targeting computer to force it in. Because Eager is awesome. Now that he has the working pew-pews again, Captain Best Dad Emmanuel Doza boots up his joystick and his laptop and starts shooting pirates out of the sky. And it forces Kragen to call a retreat. But as he slides into his ride, Kragen is like, We've done enough damage for today for our secret plan with the First Order. And now I'm going to give myself a 90s anime laugh. And they fly away. Yeager and Kaz head back to the repair shop, where Yeager looks at Kaz and says, You showed some real nerve up there. I'm really proud of you. And Kaz's eyes water up, and he smiles, and he goes, My Colossus dad is proud of me! Screw you, real dad! I'm Yeager's son now! And Neku comes over, and he's like, Kaz, I believe you have daddy issues. And Kaz is like, This is Star Wars. We all have daddy issues. And they look out over the smoking platform and wonder about the pirate attack. They just happen to know the exact time to show up. And in the words of Han Solo, convenient. So convenient that Captain Doza is forced to make a conversation that he's been putting off for some time. So he calls up old Goldie himself, Commander Pyre, and says that he's ready to at least look over the First Order's proposal. Blah, blah, blah. The end. Excuse me. What, do have I have do a better day?
5: idea for Doza. Hmm. This is what I would do if I was Doza and not mess around with those first order creeps.
1: Assholes, fucks,
5: I would, jerks, butts. I would sucks. My, Well, the first <laughs> level of my plan, my, I have, I have two levels: the Doza plan and then the plot plan. And the Doza plan would be like, why not just get more fighters? Get, get a couple more. You know, hire, put word out for a yeah. couple more. You know. Yeah. Fighters. And then if you can't find any, yeah, maybe just get a ship or pay to fix up, um, you know, the fireball and have Kaz and, and then you could have some plot, you know, plot of Kaz and Tam maybe having to compete a little bit or, we know that or end up both. A
1: pirate, a, pirate, uh, a pilot.
5: yeah. So, like, you know, that that's... Practically, that's what I would do. But, I mean, in the story arc of the whole thing, that's where it's going. But
3: the, I, I was just like, that's what I would do if I were him.
1: Zora, what'd you think of Act 3?
3: Yeah, I thought... um, You know, it, like, overall, it's probably, like, not... I don't know, actually, you know, because my favorite part's a big surprise, uh, Sonara and her trying to navigate between helping the pirates and trying to make sure she doesn't get caught. But you know that one part between her and Tam as I alluded to before I love that so much when Tam like really risks her own self to help supposedly help Sonara and Sonara is like really taken aback by that and punches one of her like fellow pirates in the face like you know to either like not even really she doesn't even really need to it's like they've basically won but like she can like go back with the pirates but she chooses not to she chooses to you know what i'm going to like yep just yeah i'm this is like her first she had her
5: chance to get out of there clean and she's exactly. and you
3: could tell she'd rather stay there exactly like she was already feeling this affinity towards the colossus and its inhabitants um other than that like the action was um like uh good but I, I don't know, it didn't, like, captivate me as much as, like, the sort of... Again, the character dynamics of the show does so well. Um, I think that... Um, I don't know. Like, although I will say, like, you know, watching Kaz, like, like was fun. Even with, like, you know, his an- typical antics and stuff. But I think it was, like, done well. Uh, as for, you know, the very ending, Captain Doza making the choice to call in the First Order. You know, like, honestly... You know, even though we as the audience know what's wrong, we can also, like, understand this guy's in a tough position. He has, like, hundreds or perhaps even thousands of lives, like, that he's responsible for. So he needs to, like, um just, like... Uh, Yeah, like, try to do what he thinks is their best interest in mind. And I know, like, whether or not he knows, like, everything that the First Order is up to or he's being willfully ignorant or whatever. But I think he just does genuinely care. And that's the reason, like, he makes a decision at that point. Overall, you know, like, I just think it's overall still a great episode. And I just, yeah, like, just everything. Again, Sonara, I'm here for.
1: I think what's interesting about Doza is we know because we find out in a few episodes that he's actually ex -imperial so there has to be something like when he sees these first order people he's like oh this is the people i used to work for but worse and horrible and like this is you know they've gone from space nazis to alt -right here we go but i think he recognizes that they at least have the has materials you know they have supplies um and it's something I kind of wish they did a little bit more is I think they could have done a really cool story of like of Doza using his imperial past to try and get something from the first order. And even See, if he failed, that's even if he I thought failed they were in going the process. With I,
5: I thought he was going to be like, yeah, I have to make a devil's bargain here. But then again, I've had to make a thousand devil's bargains to keep this thing going. We're out on the outer rims. But yeah, that's what I figured is he he figures his experience with the Empire will give him, you know, a little leverage or a little or insight to be able to keep it in control. I think he's basically just crossing his finger. He's between a rock and a hard place and crossing his fingers. That's right. kind of
1: something that the Mandalorian does better, which is you know right away they're just like oh the new york the New Republic's a joke, you know like they're they're not yeah. in the outer rim, it's spread thin, and I think that is a piece that's missing here in resistance is that they're in the outer rim, and the New Republic isn't there, so i th- that that is a piece that I feel like they could have done better
5: well that yeah that part of the mandalorian is is very much like all like a lot of westerns too about you know. You're in the Wild West, and there's a government in the United States, but you know, town hasn't had a sheriff in a long time. Same sort of thing, and yeah, and there's 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 you know, I mean, if if you really had a well-ordered galaxy or the resources for a well-ordered galaxy, there probably would be some sort of like station there to you know, with some sort of somebody with powers to arrest somebody, you know. I guess they have mm-hmm. their own pol- like droid police force and and stuff, but you would think there would be some. That seems internal. There would be some sort of. I know. get that.
1: That's on Doza's dime, not mm. New Republic dime.
5: Yeah, I believe yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if if the New Republic was had the resources to actually be like keeping order in the galaxy, they would that that would be some that would be like a service they would provide, you know. Or at least mm-hmm. be nearby, or on the, or you know, on the on the CB to him, space CB.
1: So Chris, what were some of your notes for this episode, for this act?
5: A lot of lot of really um um surface notes because it's pretty much action, and uh and like he said there's there's no there's not as much Sonara in this one, and the, and she's really the 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 focus of this episode. But we see, I have is this something now hope you know how my how bad my memory is is this something new or something or is this just something I'm remembering that you and I said what about this name Buffy the Floor Slayer
4: Oh
1: Can
5: oh. I call him Buffy <laughs> the Floor oh, for, Slayer Oh for OP pit Yes
4: Oh
5: No okay oh, No oh, I keep man. trying I'll not keep your trying. best one No,
1: I will say you, you will never beat the super Malio brothers, Malio and Savaggi. That is still your best nickname.
4: It's still my favorite.
1: We like to come up with dumb nicknames on this show.
5: Some of them are pretty bad.
1: Constantine. Embrace it. Oh, oh, I want to make a shirt of all of our nicknames. Like Constantine from Rebels was... King Constantine, King of Hubris, first of his name, and then when he died, he was last of his name. Which I waited, like, four seasons to pull that joke.
5: Good, Farkin.
1: Farkin, which is short for fucking Tarkin. Farkin! Right now, Phasma is Phasma of Tarth. That's her nickname in the show.
5: Anyway. I'd have to check my notes soon. hence you know i don't know that now
1: i'm starting to think of buffy and that's a little bit that's that's catchy don't know
5: yeah i will bring it into okay uh just um another another resistance trope that's uh that we see in this droid tripping droids trip a lot of people in this show it's it's always fun and uh my last note is really that that last shot of Doza. It's funny just watching. It's funny that they don't have gunners or anything. It's just Doza with his laptop, playing playing Doom or whatever, you know, and, and blasting out the pirates. But um, I love that last shot of him at, at the desk. It's with the sunlight. It's just a beautifully realized shot. It's so funny how they. I, not funny but it's it's so neat how with the animation they they have like hyper realism and detail and yet at the same time it's very plain it's just a really neat aesthetic and that last shot is is beautiful it's
1: it reminds me actually a lot of breath of the wild um if anybody plays zelda games it has a very yeah, it has a very similar animation style. where well, there's so much detail, but they have that cell yeah. shading, so it looks there's, both super detailed and basic. There's a lot of
5: just basic. open space of just white or just one color. But like you'll see someone's bookshelf, and you can see every detail and shadow on the bookshelf. But every you know everything else is sort of it's it's almost like uh, THX 1138, George mm-hmm. Lucas's first movie.
1: So. The only big note i have for this which is i i think is such an interesting it goes back to us talking about you know how this is about real people um i want to say that um it was sky talkers that uh brought this to my attention and then like when they mentioned it i just thought about it and i was like oh god that's so brilliant so like this is such a good point that i just wanted to bring it up there are no force users in the show so in the past, it would have been so much easier for like someone like Anakin or Kanan or Ahsoka or Ezra to pick up the big heavy tracking computer with the force and just stick it in there. But the lack of force users actually adds to the tension in the story of the show because they have to figure out a way to use their ingenuity to push it to put the thing in. And it's so mm-hmm. much heavier. And yeah. that, that it's an interesting trope with normal everyday people to add tension to the episode. Because it's- every every single moment that uh, that Kaz just fails at getting it in it just it has you have that gut wrenching thing of like oh god no 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 you but feel
5: that the weight of the thing you know you can see how much it weighs and you're like yeah you're not gonna be able to pry that with a bar It it's just yeah it's it's it's,
4: it's, it's funny it's, it's, it's just like Kaz being
5: saying. a bad bad at parkour last episode too or a couple episodes ago
1: but it's interesting that, that that they used the lack of Force users as story elements to add tension and right. tone to episodes as well. And uh, uh, the, the moment, it, it was actually about this episode that Caitlin and, and Charlotte brought up. And I, I just, it dawned on me. And I was like, oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> Such a good you thing. You know, so. it,
3: it, it's been so interesting for me with this era of Star Wars. I've like overall been frustrated with how limited the overall like the force user storylines have been and i was especially frankly frustrated by the turn it took in tross where it reverted so back to the standard norm of very strict light versus dark without the nuances that were experienced yeah. in the last yeah. jedi but uh you You're know like good i company
1: think here we
4: love the <laughs> jedi
1: yeah, so,
3: it, 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 it's a great film. You know, it's like, made, it's not perfect, but I really enjoy it for what it is. It just, oh, God, no, nope, not going to go on that tangent. I'm focusing <laughs> on resistance. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, it, uh, so, do it, do it. No, 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 I'm focusing on resistance. Like, we so, love tangents here. <laughs> so, no, but, like, I, I would be frustrated by that um lack of, you know, again, we'll sit, just say one more time, like, what it ended up being in the sequel trilogy and again, just being so limited. And I thought at one point, Oh, am I just like really in it for the force users and the exploration of that when really with resistance, it's just because you have the care again, the character arcs of these quote unquote, normal characters done so well. They're so relatable. So, so relatable and, and to be honest i never like really jived with han solo or bounty hunters or smugglers or anything like that i just like i think i love on resistance how these are just like genuinely good people trying to make their way in the galaxy and like you know only one or two of them at least at first is affiliated with the resistance against the first order but it's like, you know, seeing them go on that pathway to that. And I, I, you know, I like rebel soldiers and I like rebel pilots, but I guess like with resistance in a way, what you'd see is like the origin story of people who become part of the resistance or part of the rebellion and going on, you go on that journey with them and you don't need the force. You don't need a Jedi or Sith for that. You just have, this really great organically grown story. Uh, and I love that. I really love that. I think this is one of the best things the show has, it does like compared to other Star Wars properties. I really do hope, you know, as you said earlier, hope that more Star Wars series and uh, movies will be exploring this, you know, like, so, yeah, it, I think it's like at one point I just thought, the most interesting and the best developed character arcs are always for the force users. So that's why I sort of looked at more investment for myself in them, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like resistance showed me, it doesn't have to be that way. And I really hope Lucasfilm understands that in the projects they're going to do next. So yeah, I'm actually kind of hopeful.
1: I, I feel that. Cause like kind of, as you were talking, I, I kept thinking about, the I, I don't know if you've read any of the high republic books that are coming out and not yet they they are very jedi heavy and and stuff like that but more specifically like Claudia Gray's book Into the Dark um half the story is about the jedi but the other half is about the normal people that are stuck with the jedi <laughs> and it's they have their own story and you get to know these three characters which is um afi leox and geode and they have these really interesting stories and what i like about them is they almost have a very trace and rafa feel where they're just kind of like looking at these jedis and they're like so you're space wizards what does that mean okay that's a little too weird for us we're gonna go and you know be normal over here in the corner um and i i really jived with the character like leox um well for one he's the it was they revealed that he's asexual, which was just that moment of just being like, oh my god, space aces, I love it. But yeah, I, I as you were talking, the other people I was thinking of was Orca and Flix. And yeah, I drive with Orca and Flix because
5: they're,
1: well, they're queer like me, but I've also worked 15 years of retail. You know, I've lived that life of being the person in the front. I've lived that life being the person in the back. I've lived that life of just spitting and talking and like having a customer come in and be shitty. And then you just like drop them on the floor. And then you're just like, no, I am the manager. <laughs> Please leave. Like, I've, and I've I, known
5: gay couples that are like them, <laughs> you know. Well,
1: like, it's not even that, just the retail life. <laughs> like I like when I see Orca and Flix, I'm just like, oh, yes, I know this life. I see, did they, that they, for 15 years of my life.
5: They they specifically remind me of a couple that were um, that ran an antique shop. So it was a very similar thing. You would come in and one guy would be like, hello. And, then, you know, the other guy eventually would come out of the back where he'd been, you know, staining a, a desk or something. And and they would play off each other, you know. And,
1: uh, I just thought of something, though. Um, and this is just more could be a tangent of. Possibly that the Star Wars fandom is very shitty at times. Do you think, as I form this question properly in my head, do you think that part of the reason people didn't respond well to Resistance is because they didn't want... To see themselves in these relatable day to day situations that they what? wanted to see themselves in the Hayden Jedi hero roles or the Han Solo roles because I'm the same I've never jived with Han Solo I
5: think there's a percentage right. of people I, who who watch stuff for that reason yeah sure yeah
3: yeah for sure I, I I don't think like you know that was the predominant reason maybe Resistance didn't jive I think Resistance didn't jive frankly because the Lucasfilm didn't market it enough thank you like, they just like just <laughs> yeah I agree with yourself. that. Yeah, just like market your shows. It's just like I really like. It seemed to fizzle out on the Disney. Shut the fuck up, Chris. Yeah. Sorry, no, sorry, Chris. I didn't mean. No, no, we have a shut the fuck up. It's a rule. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it's it's a rule. So. So. Resistance is by far the most diverse, like Star Wars property maybe like on tv and film like ever so just like
1: just go for it man yeah just just like just
3: like just like knowing that and you would you would hope and expect that lucasfilm would fully have its back but frankly they didn't they left so much of it by the wayside and you see this happen with black indigenous and other people of color BIPOC all led projects almost all the time, you know, it's getting better. We're seeing like more investment sustained investment because like fans and creators are more vocal, which is good, but still like the norm in like a white supremacist and a, like still racist hollywood is to just let them fall apart or like not give them the promotion they need to like be in the pop culture and it's just like these companies need to understand that they hold the power they hold the ability to for example make someone famous you don't always need a big name or someone who's worked in the company before to be part of your cast for a show you can cast unknowns and they'll let are names will shoot to the stratosphere like we saw with iman valani who was cast for miss marvel which hasn't mm-hmm. come out yet but you know it's just like give her the opportunity and it'll pan out and that that sort of same thing is what lucasfilm really should have done with resistance because there were so many amazing core things in it and again i think that like you know their reasoning for canceling it was because oh you know things changed between tlj and tross Okay, so what? Just change things for the third season, or have it be put on a hiatus while the animators do something different. This is like this uh, this is an amazing show that deserves so much more, and the fact that it's the most diverse show that was cancelled is just like a horrible look, terrible look, yeah this and, is yeah. Where-
1: I don't believe it because, like, between season, like when season two was announced and they confirmed that it was going to be the final season, um, the three producers um, whose names are slipping my brain at the minute, um, they came out and said that it was always planned for two seasons, and I call bullshit on that because it just Dang, doesn't well, feel that way.
3: It doesn't. It really doesn't.
5: No. Yeah. It's it. There. It. It. You can almost feel strings getting cut and and chunks being cut out in, in order i you know i don't know especially how especially in season two yeah 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 and you know i think you know the problem with the, the the problem at the core lies with you know um like like i've always said before lucasfilm used to actually be it was a corporate company but there was actually a person at the head george lucas was at the head of it he he could right. and would make any decision he wanted to or go in any direction he wanted to and that's not how it works in in a Dis, in the disney structure in disney any any corporation you know that you know they people talk about woke, woke corporations or whatever but corporations are just triangulating with society they're they're moving absolutely just a little behind society and triangulating what's going to make the most money out of it but also at the same time triangulating not how not to go too far to to syria you know to to piss off the other part too much you know because the other part will still come back to pepsi or or star wars or whatever but you know but it's always a triangulation and you know they they would they would move right back to having no representation at all if they thought that was the the way they were going to make the the most amount of money cuz that's the the corporate structure so it's just a it, you know you you end up with all these weird like wins and losses and they're all just like half measures and empty gestures and you know you know what 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 should be a big deal or it, you know what what it it's it's not a big deal to the people it represents but then it ends up being a negative big deal to the people who don't like it and it all just turns into this this big mess because i i don't think Di- uh, disney really cares how people perceive them outside of how much money they make so they're not trying to well, you know they don't well, want to yeah, be exactly. ideological and- or yeah, their, is, their, their ideology is 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 totally blown in the money wins you know
3: well well yeah it's like you know with what their image is and how that looks to you know what it is in their pocketbooks and so like there's this amazing um advocate for diversity in the film industry uh franklin leonard uh y- y'all should follow him on twitter so he like often talks about how it's just the smart business thing to do to increase representation, to get more audiences who want to see themselves like in your property. And Disney, thankfully, you know, look, listen, I've got a lot of problems with Disney as a company overall and monop- their monopolistic practices, but they honestly have increasingly been following the call like of diversity and inclusion. I actually think I heard that uh, Bob Iger like actually had an internal meeting like With a bunch of employees about them needing to do better at Disney, which, you know, great, you know, they should do more of that. They still have like more work to do, but it's like, yeah, so but I do agree with you that like it's ultimately, you know, what affects their pocketbooks. And I think like the power that we have as consumers is to like talk vocally about these topics and like make it clear that we want more diverse content and i think i genuinely think like they're actually listening in some ways. so they're not yeah. definitely not doing as much as they should i absolutely agree there and you know the cancellation of resistance is something that i will always like be upset about but i do think like Hopefully things are, can be changing in a better direction, including in Star Wars, by the way. Yeah, and- yeah, because
1: I'm actually um, currently editing uh, an episode for our our other podcast, and it's, uh, it's it's the Love God episode, Chris. And in the episode, like Disney wouldn't let Alex Hirsch put two little lesbians in the background, and just and that was 2014, yeah. the- I believe. Um, and we had this like forty-minute conversation about it, um, so you can go check out. Hope First the, the episode we the were Show. gonna
5: that we that we canceled yesterday had another has a when we get to it has another like have I could tell they had to do something in there to make the story okay to work through dis you know in front of kids through Disney, but we'll get yeah. to that there. But, but like, the, hold like on Chris, like,
1: let me finish my point. Um, but what what I was gonna say is I I feel like a lot of times with Disney, they let other people take their hits first and they because they want to be at the forefront, but they also don't want to be the ones there to get the heat first. And, of course... Mm, that's I, a I, really I, good way
3: of putting it. I, yeah. I,
1: you know, track animation through a queer eye because I'm, I'm a queer woman, and that's where I track a lot of animation. So, like, you had people, like nickelodeon dropping korasami first and actually the episode where disney wouldn't let them have the two little queer ladies in crowdie falls a month later Corasami dropped And got all this praise about it. And over the next six years, like you see, Disney trailing just behind like Steven Universe and just behind like Shira. And now they dropped Owl House, and Owl House is the one that Disney got all the praise for. Like, oh, look how inclusive they are. But these other these other shows took their hits first and forced the way for Disney to then come in and just be like, look, we're at the forefront.
5: Well, yeah. Well, I mean, Disney is the. They are. the huge first like all -american white bread we want to appeal to anybody and offend as few people as possible like you know mickey mouse is like one of the most recognized you know visual things in the entire world you know would that come you know with the walt disney philosophy of that the responsibility of that of being you know and and all that yeah they're so wrapped up that they are extra with their image and like when they when they acquired star wars it was like instantly um they were going to be great at representing women in star wars they were instantly going to put more women in star wars because disney knows there's just as many little girls as little boys and they buy toys too I mean, it goes back to Walt, too. I mean, like, I mean, well, that was that they learned that at Disneyland and they were just like we got, you know, and they specifically very, you know, little girls got sort of marketed to for, you know, a limited amount of stuff. But Disney was the first franchise that was just like, no, we are going to treat little girls as, you know, just as large a market as little boys. And they maybe even tweaked it into where little girls became even more their market. you know so they they know the marketing they they know that like that there's been a whole history of cinema without representation of women and that's that's very easy for them to to do. so I think they leaned into that and then just sort of sl- you know figured they could slough off on the other stuff and and roll with the punches mm-hmm. and and come in late and and all that but yeah so it's never gonna be fixed till we smash um capitalism
3: hope i know down with capitalism more publicly funded arts yes I think, I'm, yeah. still bought, I'm still but hurt that that the star
5: wars copyright that disney keeps like making the copyright laws go longer and longer because star a good chunk of star wars it would have been public domain by now and fan fiction would have just been a reality of like yeah we're gonna write our own star wars movie and put it out you know i just and then that would drive that would drive the other stuff because then there would be stuff that people made just the way they want it and all of a sudden stuff that they might not think would have been very popular would say they would find suddenly is very popular and i
1: was just having that conversation uh last weekend with a buddy of mine because the reason it's fan fiction is because of steamboat willie like jm barry used to write fan fiction Brom stroker used to stoker used to write fan fiction jane austen wrote fan fiction and they published it and it's because of steamboat willie and that copyright is why we suddenly can't publish it anymore it's all disney
5: yeah yeah yeah. it wouldn't yeah. be fan
1: fiction it would just be let me publish my Thrawn, Pete uh, Thrawn novel that I wrote that has long yeah, you and could you could, you it could write it ring.
5: and sell it and make it into a movie if you wanted to yeah yeah for sure yeah it would have been it would have been a Renaissance it would have been a lot a lot of garbage but uh, you know that's what you get and and but there would have been some gold and there would have been people who never would have gotten a crack at it and because they had an angle that somebody who didn't think would work that would have been the greatest thing ever. Mm-hmm. So I'm still about hurt, hurt over that. I'm happy with with uh resistance because I'm also I also one of my pet peeves is that that Star Wars really feels you know from the from the prequels on that you just can't have Star Wars without lightsabers. And solo almost almost broke that but then they had sort of lightsabers in it they sort of half measured out of it but resistance pff, not a lightsaber in sight it, it, it that was brave of them i i i don't think it was really brave because i don't think you need lightsabers but mm-hmm. hopefully they learn they don't need lightsabers well
1: did we have any other thoughts about Sonar's score
5: no I, I are you saying uh, should we be ready to score it up
1: Ah! we have bad jokes here it's fun so Suara, on a scale of one to ten how would you rate son asnara score and why did you rate it that way
3: so it's funny because like i'm actually looking at the show notes and the score that you gave it and i'm I actually do very much agree with it, if I may just, like, read that out. Yeah, so, like, you all gave it an 8 .5 out of 10, and I think that's a very good rating for it. I think that is, overall, a very good episode. Maybe not the best or necessarily a 10 out of 10 perfect, but, you know, for what it is, like, you know, with Sonara being, like, the core of this— And we really, as the audience, get to see the start of her journey with these characters. And really, like her journey of self -discovery, it's just done so well. I think that it makes great use of all of the characters, especially Tam and her dynamic with Sonara. There's a lot of intrigue and the battle with the pirates at the end is fun and exciting. So overall... Great episode, eight point five out of ten.
1: Now you're also the guest, like because like my that that's my score, that's not Chris's score. Um, so I I scored it the way I did just so I have room to have some leeway. So if you just want to be like, yeah, it's a fifteen out of ten, like that's
5: fine. That's <laughs> you're funny fine. Usually our guests pick their favorite I, episode I, t- t- listen, I like, take 12. critiquing
3: I take critiquing things very seriously. So okay, why. <laughs> like every time I step out of a film, I always like try to rank it out of ten. it's like an obsessive thing of mine
1: all right chris how'd you score up the episode
5: you're not gonna believe this but i gave it an 8 .5 out of 10
1: across the board it wasn't one
5: of those ones that got me pumping my fist in the air into the nines and but at the same time it's a really good episode. So 8.5 leaves it in that space where you have I have space for the episodes, you know, because I know there's some episodes coming up that I really, really, really like. But yeah, this is this was a really good. This is a this is a solid meat and potatoes episode. It's got all all the tropes and uh, and the the flow, and it just is 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 doing that felony thing once it gets going and establishes everybody it just starts peppering story and and character development all the way through and this has all that in it it has everything yeah
1: I really enjoy this episode, too. I love getting Tam's backstory and seeing, like, the beginning baby steps of Sonara's overall story arc that she goes on. It's also great just to see normal people in Star Wars having to work through heavy lifting and hard things that would normally be so easy for Jedi to do. And as Chris said, it's a meat and potatoes episode. It's so solid. So I also gave it an 8 .5 out of 10. So guys we're not going to do feedback this week because we do have a guest but if you want to leave us feedback we would love to hear it over at itunes twitter or on the two true freaks facebook page and you can leave us feedback on this episode here so if you don't have anything else soara where can people find you
3: well first off thank y 'all so so much for having me on i've had a fantastic time this is like the first star wars podcast i've been on like in over a year, I think. Oh wow. And wow it's like yeah, it's been great. So thank you uh, <laughs> so much for having me on and just like resist only resistance could warm my dead cold Star Wars heart. So well, I think I'm glad they say- yeah, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> it
5: was painful, yeah.
1: Except for Yoda. Yoda's always a little
5: painful. <laughs> yeah Yoda's cringy uh, for sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: But I mean, we. I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, like I said in our other podcast, we're going to be doing avatars soon, so we would love to have you back on to discuss avatar with us. Thank
3: you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I would love to. Make
1: an episode, and we'll have you on.
3: Oh, Sick. I can already think of a couple, but you know, I'll, if you I'll want think to pick a couple episodes, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we, won't, we never say no to guests, so we love like, guests. We would, yes. I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. But, uh, so anyway, y'all can find me online. I'm on Twitter at spiderswars. Uh, I mentioned my projects before, those are my other podcast, The Middle Geeks, uh, Into the Spidercast, and I'm a writer and assistant editor for But Why Though Y'all should go check out uh, my review of Nadia Bakes. That's Nadia Hussein's new baking show on Netflix. It is fantastic. And y'all should watch it and read my review. So, yeah, that's where y'all can find me.
1: All right, Chris, where can people find
5: you? You can find me at 2TrueFreaks.com. That is our website. And it holds just a vault full, just stuffed full. It's They're smearing out the sides of it, a podcast from the last... God, what is it? Twelve years now, hope no, something like that.
1: Yeah.
5: 2008, yeah, so yeah no something idea. around there. Yeah. Oh, jeez. We and, should uh, hopefully
1: have a new website soon.
5: <laughs> hopefully soon. God. Any day now. Fuck. Any day now.
1: Fuck me. Um, this has been a. Tr- when, oh, it's hard when you no. have to put like five thousand episodes from one website to another. And that, yes, I did say thousand.
5: Yeah, we had thousands and thousands of episodes there and 40 shows the, by the way it's not Tutu just Freak, us, like Tutu, oh yeah 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 it's it's a, a bunch there's a, there's a whole ton of us there's some there's some shows that have ended and shows that have continued but if you if you go to tutufreaks.com you can sign up for all our websites either you can uh, grab their RSS feed there or at iTunes or if you're really brave at the website you can sign up for our mega feed which just gives you every podcast by every podcaster on Two True Freaks and we'll clog your your device with with Two True Freaks podcast. We are also on Facebook where we have the Two True Freaks podcast page that lists all our shows as they come out and the Two True Freaks Cantina where we can go talk about all, whatever and if you want to go if you go to Twitter, our Twitter is run by the legendary Gene The Hammer Hendrix
1: Oh my god, you threw me off because you didn't do the normal thing uh,
5: It doesn't uh, matter, you can still do your thing I, I thought about that
1: Gene,
5: he threw me off I was wondering if it was because I found Gene's business card and I forgot Gene was also of the the Hammer Strikes podcast and that there was a, a local, well he was I guess in a few states so Gene might have actually seen him on TV, but there was a cheesy law firm called Shapiro and Shapiro. And there used to be this super wimpy looking guy with glasses, like, you know, the just white breadest, wimpiest white guy in a bad suit. I'm Jim the hammer, Shapiro. Have you been in a car accident? I will smash them for your money. I will squeeze every cent out of them. So that's why as soon as I saw the hammer, I was like, Gene, the hammer, Hendrix. I I, I presented it more in a, in a wrestling light than a lawyer light, though, because I like Gene. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you guys should also check out Chris's audio drama where they're doing Strangers in Paradise with uh, OK from Terry Moore to do it.
5: Yes. And also, I might as well take this opportunity to say we are looking for anybody who wants to. We're, we're doing uh, Strangers in Paradise. We're going to be. Uh, doing an adaptation of of the comic Trekker which is sort of a space noir, it's not Star Trek related, but uh, it, was a, it was a pretty uh, pretty popular comic in the 90s it's still going though and uh, we we're working with the, the creator of that and Strangers in Paradise are letting them us manhandle their, their creations and uh, yeah, we're always looking for more voice actors and actresses we are really looking for voice actors and actresses of different races and 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 uh, countries and stuff like that, so that when we run across a character in in Strangers of Paradise, that that we can have the proper representation for that that voice. You know, there's a, the, you know the, the occasional person who's not white shows up. In stories so we're looking we're, we're looking we're looking for people who want to do music or voice act or do editing or any of that stuff anything or writing uh, if that's about so yeah there's that going on and
1: and if you're interested in that, just hit me up and I can point you in the right direction because you can. Yeah, just. I, hit, I can point you towards Gene or uh, Chris. Yeah,
5: that yeah. right, right into the show. Well, we'll you know, I'm here.
1: I am the more vocal one on so on social and, media and than Chris is, well, so you can well, just come
5: Gene, to me. And Gene I, is also doing voice acting on it too. So if you go on our Twitter feed and talk to Gene, he will he will scoop you right up. And uh, for the fun of it. No, uh, well, well. The thing about strangers in paradise is that was the uh, condition of it is uh, you can you can do it. You just as long as you don't sell it. We were like that's fine with us because we just wanted to do it. It was a challenge, and uh, we've done the first trade paperback, and we're launching. We've just started recording the second trade paperback now too. So <laughs> okay, check it out. Um, but that's that's it for me. Um, where can they find you, Hope?
1: You can find me at JGuysInGenry on Twitter. I run our Twitter account. You can also find me at Molinax I also have my website, GeekyGirlExperience.com, where I've actually done a lot of writing on Resistance. Um, and as I mentioned, Chris and I have another podcast called Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, where I force Chris to watch all my favorite animated shows. Um, and we are currently finishing up Gravity Falls. We are going to be very close to finishing it by the time the show comes out, uh, at yeah. least for us recording. And then, as I said, we're going to be doing Avatar the last airbender decks, and we're really excited about that because it has so many clone wars ties like justin ridge and Dave filoni and um a lot of them got their start on on avatar and you can actually see like a lot of avatar nods like throughout star like filoni projects especially um there's a lot of really cool connections so we're gonna be tackling avatar next and then steven universe shira ducktales uh, Kippo, like, we have a lot of plans for Help Makes Crisis Watch cartoons. And yeah, come join us. Hang out. Have fun. All right, you guys. Little Suarez, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Again, thank you all for having me.
1: This is so much fun. And we'll definitely have you back for Avatar on our other show.
3: Appreciate it. Uh, all right. Is that the end of the podcast? Sorry. I'm just like wondering whether. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not yet because now this is awkward <laughs> well everybody we'll see you next week bye
3: bye, bye that's y'all. the
5: end of the podcast bye. now <laughs> it's
4: the end
1: so. <laughs> or is that's it a good,
5: actually that's a good end to the podcast So, <laughs> it, especially because <laughs> it was times... the end of the
0: podcast visit our website at truefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow.
4: socket to me? <laughs>